we talk a lot about what is natural and normal. And I think one of the reasons why we talk about that, that our, that our faith that we put in Jesus might seem strange, might seem weird. And today we're talking about faith in Jesus, and it really does. It puts us in a um, strange situation. It makes us feel strange in our environment. And yet, sometimes I think Christians create that own, their own problem because they only know how to do church things. So what are you doing this week? Singing hymns to the Lord. Anything else? No. Maybe reading my Bible. We have a prayer group on Tuesday, which I love. I love prayer groups and singing, and I love all of that. And actually, um, I'm one of the few Canadians that has never hunted in my life and have no desire to. Um, I've, I'm not a fishing guy, so whenever I tell anybody, I recently was in Canada uh, with my wife visiting family, and people, oh, did you go hunting? No. <laughs> like, I, I've never hunted in my life. Really? And you're from Canada? Really? Where were you fishing? No, no, I live in Calgary. I mean, there might be a fishing place in Calgary, but usually you have to go out. So I'm always a little bit out of place, but I have my interests. I have my passions, and I want to say, I believe God has given me those for a reason. And I love the idea of Kyle and Eric and a number of other people going, hey, like we really love shooting things, and we really love unbelievers, and weirdly enough, those go together, okay? Like, I really have a heart, and I, I, have a, I love what he said. Like, there are lots of people that were like, I'm not going to church. Like, I, I, I'm good to miss that. But man, what I would never miss is, and I, I hope that you have a love for God, and even an awareness that God gave you those passions and those desires, those gifts for a reason. And I really do. I love the idea of how can we bring these things together? How really can we bring these things together? So um, if, we, if I ever move back to Canada, I might start something hockey-oriented. If not, um, then I just have to, I don't know, just watch the NHL playoffs by myself. Um, here, here is what we're going to be doing today. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading a small little verse from the book of Job. But you know, I don't think you need to go there. I really don't. I think you might not want to write down this verse in a moment. But I want you to go to Matthew 9, because that's where we're going to begin together. We're going to be finishing up this section within Matthew's gospel, which are this succession of miracles, people going to Jesus in needs. And, and last week, Drew helped us not only understand um, kind of what is driving all of this within Matthew's gospel is Jesus's mission and Jesus's per per person and the idea of discipleship, but even how Drew explained that, that there are three and then there are three and then we have these more miracles at the very end of this. And so we're going to see a number of people in desperation going to Jesus. And it just couldn't help me, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't stop me from just realizing, like, that's us today. Um, there's just no way that everyone is coming into the room this morning in the, in the same state of, uh, of spiritual awareness or even, um, well, let's just put it this way. There are many in this room that are really distracted for lots of reasons. And it's amazing how all of these things work and I'm gonna say it now and I want you to continue to pray for them. Um, but as you, you probably know, uh, Rachel Vincent, one of our college pastors here, um, we've been praying for her brother Joey for a long time who was diagnosed with a, with a brain tumor. Um, and uh, some complications uh, developed over this past week. And sometime in the early afternoon, um, because two days ago, they, they uh, consider him, the doctors considered him to be brain dead. And so Ryan just sent me a picture, Ryan and Rachel, Ryan's one of our pastors here, Ryan and Rachel right now 
are in a hospital room and they sent me a picture and I, I almost brought it in to share it with my wife, but I knew that it would just throw her. Um, I've seen these pictures before of mothers in the bed with their dying sons and Joey's 26 and the family's all just crowded around and they're just getting ready to take them off life support. And, and, and many of us who've known what's going on in their lives have been just praying to God. And, and, and Ryan, weirdly enough, said to me um, a couple of days ago when I was getting back, hey, by the way, here's what's going on. I doubt if I'll be there on Sunday. And then, yeah, I get it. That's one of our own. I want, I want you to be praying. Actually, we, we need to pray right now for them. Let's do this. Um, and so God, we come before you and we're not afraid to ask you for the crazy, for the miraculous, for we know you have the power. And Joey's life would be restored to him that he would sit up and walk out today is just it's no stretch for you. And yet looking at the events as they are unfolding right now, in our mind's eye, but in their presence, and Father, may we remember in your presence, it, it looks like it's for him. It's time to say goodbye. And so God, it just, it really does just break our hearts but we do not grieve as the world grieves. And I'm just so grateful for Rachel and Ryan and for her parents and for their love for you and for the hope in the midst of this, this uh, unnatural event, which just is beginning to seem natural in this world. So God, we pray that you, the God of all comfort, would give them comfort, that you, the God of peace, would give them a peace that passes any kind of human understanding. God, we're grateful that you are the resurrection and the life and that you will do right. So we pray, Father, for Ryan and Rachel and for her mom and dad and brothers and sisters as they are, uh, are dealing with the unthinkable but we know that you are in control of all of this. And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that sobers you up fast, doesn't it? Um, and I guarantee you, like in a room of this size, like it might, not be, um, it might not be as pressing, it might not be as immediate as what Ryan and Rachel are going through, but, but you're distracted. I mean, I'm talking. Your mind is somewhere else. Uh, relational strain, um, a news report that you've heard, a, a test result that you're waiting to get back. My wife and I were visiting in Canada recently, and I, I have to now admit, it is easier to be part of a family 1,758 miles away. It just is. I remember when my sisters-in-law, Allison and Angie, I remember when they told us, oh, it's easy for you guys because you get to go home. It felt like they were somehow accusing us of something. And I remember, yeah, well, you don't know what it's like to be away because you know, we get to, we're, we're, we're concerned about you and we would like to be there for you. And we were there for a week and we came back and we're here, we love them. And it was a great time. And I just, I guess 
I need to be honest, it, it is easier. It's easier to manage relationships and to, to deal with all of that from a distance, actually. At least that's our um, understanding of it. Because when you're right in the middle of it, all of a sudden your faith is tested. Like what you believe about God and what you believe about Jesus in the midst of just the family craziness can just become overwhelming and distracting. And that's where, to some degree, all of us are today. And for many of us, um, you can't even hear me right now. And when what I love is, is that we still come to sing praise to God. We come um, to gather around and to, to, to realize that Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness. And that is why I love to think about communion as Jesus knows pain. Like, it's not like he doesn't get it. It's not like I can say to Jesus, well, do you know what? It oh, yeah, you know what everything is like. He does. He sympathizes with us in our weakness and in our brokenness. He comes to us. And sometimes we just think, when we look around at everybody else, I wish I could be them. They have it easier than me. I don't know. There's a lot of brokenness that's all around us. And, and, and I think the part that is hard is, is that if we're honest, and even when we look at the biblical text, as you walk through the Bible, as we walk through the Gospels, like let's remember, we're in Matthew 9. Now the problem is, truly the problem is, is that you and I already know about a, a crucifixion and a death and a resurrection, right? We know about that. And so we kind of know where the story is going, and sometimes we read that, the, the death, burial, and resurrection, we read it back into this stuff. Like we're in ch chapter 9. And, and so it's in chapter four that Jesus calls his disciples to him. We're five chapters in. He's got that lengthy sermon, chapters five, six, and seven. Eight, we're seeing some, it's early on in Jesus's ministry and the disciples are still figuring out who Jesus is. So it's not like they have them all figured out yet because it's always dangerous to have God figured out. As I was thinking about that, I thought, huh, what do I not know about Jesus. Like right now, it's easy to look at our characters today at the synagogue ruler, um, the woman who's got this incredible illness, these, these blind men, this, this man that is a mute, and yeah, they have no idea. Like they know certain things about Jesus, but they don't know what I know about Jesus. I begin to realize, like, isn't that interesting? I dare you. I, I dare any of you right now. Tell me something about Jesus I don't already know. You got something? You think you can tell me something about Jesus that I don't already know? You know what I've just confessed to? <laughs> I cannot learn anything about Jesus because I know it. I know about him. I know what he's going to do. I know how he's going to work. I know where he's going to be. I know everything that he's done. And not only that, I know everything that he's going to do. I, I know it all. That's a dangerous place to be in. If anything, I'm beginning to look more enviously at these people with childlike, not childish, childlike faith who are in this journey of discovery into who Jesus Christ is. Oh, God forgive you. God forgive me if I've already arrived at a complete understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Because what do the people believe? in Matthew 9 about Jesus. There's a synagogue ruler and I'm sure he's heard stories about, did you, did you know that Jesus calmed a storm? 
Have you heard that story? Did you know that Jesus, actually, there was a man, and they lowered him in on this pallet, and he said, your sins are forgiven, which was bizarre. But then he said, get up and walk. Like, that was crazy. And then he, there was this man, and he was just this, this out-of-control, demon-possessed person. Actually, there were two of them. And then Jesus commanded these demons to come out of these men and into these pigs. And wow, this Jesus, I, I don't understand everything about him. I mean, I know they're saying Messiah. I just, he, he just, he seems larger than life, you know? Like, it's just amazing as to who he is. And, and they're going through life just like you. They've, they've got to try to figure out what are we going to eat tomorrow. And man, grandma's sick. Mom and dad are getting older. Man, I, I don't know if I'm happy where I'm working. They're going through all of this at the same time. There really is, I would say, in many ways, no difference between them and us. And what they're probably doing is what you and I do. We, we, we hear stories about God. We read about stories about God. And then we try to look for a formula so that we can tap into that. That's what we need, a formula. Like, I mean, wouldn't you love to know if you ever get sick or if you know someone's sick, how to make that better? Like maybe it's, and, and, and here's one thing I found. Unless I'm trying to write a book to sell to you for 1995 on how to tap into that Holy Spirit power, until I'm trying to tell how you too can marshal what I have learned or what I have discovered, or, unless there's usually that, some kind of a ploy in it, the Bible seems to actually present that there is no formula for this. There's no formula. I know, I know people that I've prayed for that have gotten better and been healed, and I know people that have died. And, and I, I can't go, well, they had faith and they didn't. And I know, I know people that have died in car accidents and I know that people have been miraculously saved in the middle of a, I don't know how they survived that accident. And it's not that they had faith and they didn't. It's not that they were Christians and they weren't. Like the, the Bible doesn't give us a picture of that. If anything, one of my favorite pictures of the Bible that I've more recently discovered, and this is my Job text, I wanna just kind of read over you Job 23, verses eight through 10. I want you to just write that down and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have it on the screen. Um, I, I love how this text speaks so truthfully about a man who is agonizing, God, where are you? You know that prayer, right? God, where are you? But he's not just, he's not just passively sitting back. I mean, this is a righteous man. This is a man that's, that's pursuing God. He's in the midst of it. And what kind of wisdom does Job give us? Here's what he says. I think this is fascinating. Behold, I go forward, but he is, that the, he is God, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Some other translations, the NIV talks about going east and west and north and south. And I hear he's doing something. And then when I go there, I don't see it. So I decide that I'm going to start looking over here. And you know what? I go there and, and I can't find it. I can't find it. I can't find him. You been there? In the midst of your pain or in the midst of your success, it doesn't matter. 
and I am looking for God. I, I thought that I would find him when I went on this mission trip. And I went there, and I went all the way to Africa. And, and behold, I mean, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if I saw him. And, and so I decided they had this go gather grow thing at my church. And so I decided that I would gather and I would get involved in this life group. And, and, and I thought, wow, this is biblical community. Pastors talk like it's awesome. And he wasn't there. Just a bunch of messed up people. And everywhere I look, I hear other people talk about he's doing things and I, I just can't find him. That's Job's story. Like, that is Job's story. Everywhere I look, I cannot find him. Now, before you go, okay, dude, seriously, I did not come here to get depressed. Look at what he says. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. See, that's the story of Job. And and that's the story of these great testimonies of faith that we're going to see is that, listen, if I were to just look according to my life as to where God is, I'd never find him. I know what that's like. I went all the way to Canada, and I promise you, God was not there. Not that I could perceive. So I decided to come back home, and you know what? It was the same kind of messed up brokenness. I don't know if I saw him. And and that's what we do. We we, we look with eyes, not of faith, but with just normal eyes. And I mean, have any of you just been looking for God and you just really don't see him? You don't feel him. You don't recognize his presence. You're still trapped and confused or distracted. And he says, but I know that he sees me. And I also know that when he tries me, when I'm tried, I will come out as gold. And gold is that, again, you probably know this, is this refined element. Not a refining element. It is a refined element. And that's Job, that even though he slay me, yet will I serve him? Can a man just accept that which is good, but not what is hard and difficult from the Lord? And that is how we encounter our broken people in this text. There is no formula, and yet Jesus is there. There is no formula, and yet God is present in their lives And he's present today as well. And so I want to just look at some of the words of testimony about these people in the midst of their agony, in the midst of their desperation. They make very strong assertions about Jesus. The synagogue ruler, his name is Jairus. We're in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Now, by the way, Mark and Luke tell the story with a lot more words. They, they, they describe it in greater length, which is, they say, kind of different for them, but it's usually not, actually. Mark, when you get into an encounter that's like shared with Matthew, Mark sometimes uses way more words to describe it. So if you want to kind of see the greater extent of what's going on in this very, uh, the first two miracles that we're going to see here, you can read Mark's gospel. You can read Luke's gospel, and you can see there's a lot more going on here. Jairus is a synagogue ruler and he comes up to Jesus. Matthew doesn't even give his name. He comes up to Jesus and at that point, according to Mark, his, his daughter is ill, extremely ill. And he comes to Jesus and begs her to do something. And on the way to healing his daughter, he finds out that she's died. Huh. And here's how Matthew tells it in verse 18. And while he was saying these things to them, Jesus is talking, behold, a ruler came in 
and knelt before him. That actually is the word for worship. He falls down. Mark says he bowed down before him. He worships before him. And he says, my daughter has just died. Worship and desperation. My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So even Matthew takes this really kind of long and um, agonizing encounter and just in just a few short verses, he just says that. The ruler looks for Jesus and he finds him. My daughter has died. Will you come and do something about it? Look at this. If you come, she will live. By the way, Lazarus doesn't even, isn't even sick at this time. So it's not like he's even done this before that they know of. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now, I think it's important to note here that when I, when, I, when I use this word creative, I don't mean like, hey, let's have fun with this. But it seems like people of faith think creatively about God. They, they think outside of the box when it comes to who God is. That instead of coming and I already know everything about God, I already know how exactly he works. I know that he appears in burning bushes. I know he has guys build boats, but that's it. Oh yeah, sometimes fire comes down from heaven, but that's it. I love what Jairus and his wife must have been doing. Um, honey, like I know she's not doing well. And I, I, here's what I know. I, I, I know that Jesus can calm a storm. Let's think about that. He said to the storm, stop, and it did. And I know that he, there, was a, there, was a, there was a man that was crippled and he made him walk again. And then with those other, the demon-possessed thing, I mean, and Jesus cast those demons. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, do you think he can heal our daughter? And by the way, on the way, she dies. Men come to him, according to Mark, and they give this news, and he is, I'm already ahead of this. Yeah, I'd already, don't, don't, you didn't think I'd think that she might die? No, I still believe he can fix that. Again, I'm not talking creative. I wonder if God will build us a spaceship so we can fly to Mars. But sometimes are you just trapped in your understanding of God and who he is and, and you only see him as acting in these ways and doing these things? And, and so in the end, in many ways, God just seems distant because I don't know how he relates to me in my circumstances. Like I do know that God can heal someone with leprosy. I'll let you know when I get that. I, I love, again, the faith in this synagogue ruler. I believe that you can heal my daughter. She's died. I believe you can raise my daughter. He's never done this as far as we know. But they're looking into the identity and the power of Jesus Christ and they're going, I am asking this because I believe if you can, then you can. And so often we don't make those connections. God, if I believe you can, then I believe you can. I, I wanna jump down to verse 23 because there's a, an encounter that happens in the middle, but I wanna get to the house and get this little girl alive again, okay? Verse 23, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, which just real quickly, that would be normal for them, okay? Just like we would have visitation, they would, in honor of those that had died and in honor of the fact that I really am grieving, they would actually hire people to come and mourn with them. And, and it's not that crazy. 
How many of you, when you're in the middle of going through something, you don't wanna share your grief in a way that's like, hey, I'm feeling bad and I would like you to feel bad too. It's no, I'm just dying inside. And I just, I need you to go through this with me. I know what that's like. That's actually a normal way to grieve. So a, a way that this family can express their grief and their pain, this is this custom, that they would hire professional flute players and professional mourners who would come and sympathize along with them. And Jesus appears and I don't know about you, I, I just I find these interesting. These are those verses that are good to like circle and underline. When Jesus says stuff you never would have guessed him saying. You know, my, my wife actually, whenever we're in like a particular situation, especially when we're going into a particular situation that calls for certain etiquette or appropriateness, my wife likes to say, hey, 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 just remember where you are, please. Don't need you acting crazy. Um, I, I go to places, honestly, funerals and weddings, and I like to just sing along with whatever songs are being sung. And my wife is like, will you please stop singing or whistling or whatever? Because it's not appropriate. And sometimes Jesus actually says things that, to be honest with you, they're not appropriate. But when Jesus says them, <laughs> obviously they are. Verse 24. And he walks up to these people that are mourning the death of this little girl. And he says, go away. Go away. I, I don't know how strong it was. It could have been, can you please go away? I, I think it's more forceful than that. We love to talk about, even in John 11, about Jesus sympathizing. Actually, it talks about him getting a little upset with the, with the mourning that's going on around him because I am the resurrection and the life. There's a bit of a frustration in John 11. I wonder if it's here. It's rather strong. Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. <laughs> Again, we learned this a couple of weeks ago. It's not wrong to mourn. But in light of who Jesus Christ is, and in light of the presence of Jesus Christ, we just need to mourn according to that truth. See, that's what Jesus does. Is he doesn't say death isn't real. He doesn't say, listen, like nobody will ever die again. No, I'm here. Therefore, since I'm here, she's sleeping. See, that's the difference. And their response, and, and just notice the um, kind of how you have these great statements of faith alongside disbelief. And they laughed at him. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean she's sleeping? We know she's dead. No, I, I, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing your perception of that. I'm arguing your perception of me. I'm arguing your understanding of who I am because I've walked into this situation and it is not your assessment of how, how bad and how desperate and how broken things are. That's not Jesus' question. It's that you have forgotten that I'm here. Isn't that your problem? That's mine. Because I want to argue with Jesus. Yeah, but you don't understand. Yeah, that's not, Jesus isn't arguing that. He's arguing him but this is who I am in, in the midst of me being here, like she's sleeping and they laugh at him. Verse 25, but when the crowd had been put outside, 
Mark says that Jesus allowed Peter and James and John and the mother and the father to go into this room. He he goes into the room. He takes her by the hand. Mark says that Jesus says, Talitha kumi. Little girl, rise. Talitha kumi. He speaks. And this dead girl (sighs) breathes again. It's crazy. It's Jesus. And the girl arose, and and this is what happens when stuff like that happens. And the report of this went all throughout the district. You You just can't stop stuff like this. The fame of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Hey, by the way, guess one more thing he can do. Add this to your list. Storms, demon-possessed guys, and and, and little girls who are dead. Like, this is the kind of man he is. But by the way, let's, let's be easy on as he travels north and south within Israel. I mean, they're not tweeting this at Jim at Sunnybrook. (laughs) Hey, Jesus just raised (laughs) this little girl. Follow me. You know, that's not what's happening. And and so the the fame is spreading word of mouth. And there are some, by the way, who are going to believe that and something. No, no, no. I guarantee you that's just crazy. That doesn't happen. In the midst of this synagogue ruler who approaches Jesus and him raising her, there is an interruption, which is just so typical about life. As I've gotten older, I've noticed that I've become increasingly frustrated with slower people. Anybody else? Driving. Um, it's, It's almost like, yeah, I don't think, the people around me when I'm driving, I don't think are going anywhere. I think their job is to just keep me from getting where I wanna go. And this is so, and it is always, um, it is always more stressful when I'm in a hurry. Now, by the way, it's not because I'm too busy and I should slow down. It's not because I need to learn patience. It's everybody else's fault, right? This man is in the midst of this. Let's go. I mean, my daughter's sick, my daughter's sick. And right in the middle, Matthew does this as well, right in the middle, a woman who's got her own issues, who is suffering of her own, so there's this synagogue ruler and his wife that are just agonizing over their daughter. And then like one hospital room over, there's like another family that's hurting. Hey, can, can we get some help in here? Yeah, well, excuse me, can you wait one moment? I'm helping someone here. Oh, I hate it when Jesus does that. Hmm. Yeah, you're, you're not the only one hurting today. When I say that, sometimes you go, oh good, I'm not the only one hurting today. There are others and they can understand where I'm coming from and I can simp- they can sympathize with me. Or you could think, wow, I'm not the only one hurting today. Maybe I can be an encouragement to somebody else. And in the midst of this mess, this woman comes in and um, in a divine moment interrupts and distracts Because she believes if I just touch the garment of Jesus, I will be made well. If I just touch him, talk about creative thinking. Like I know Jesus can do this. I heard about this with this and I heard about this with this. I think if I just touch his garment, I'm gonna be healed. In the middle of this story in verse 20, 
And behold, so Jairus and everybody, they're pressing in. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge for 12, of blood for 12 years came up behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and said to her. Now, by the way, Mark says that he turned and said, who touched me? And the disciples went, seriously, Jesus? There's everybody pressing in. How are we going to determine who touched you? No, no, no. Someone touched me in a way different than everybody else just pressing in on me. Someone, I felt power go out from me. Someone, and then finally this woman comes forward. I I touched you. Because I believe that if I just touched your garment, nothing magic in Jesus' clothes. We don't go, now there's a formula. We just need to find the clothes of Jesus. And then guess what? We can have whatever we want, right? We'll have it on display. If you need anything, come up and give it a touch. Now, look at this, verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Ah, there we go, formula, faith. We've seen it now twice, yeah. But let me remind you, we're about to meet a mute man by, possessed by a demon. We don't know anything about him. Lazarus, how much faith did Lazarus have? He was dead. Yeah, there's no formula. But Jesus is the one constant. Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Next power encounter. We, we just got this statement I love how sometimes people are making statements about Jesus. I believe you can do this. And other times Jesus is asking, hey, what do you think about me? Sometimes it's like the shoe's on the other foot. Beginning in verse 27, and Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. So Jesus obviously let this go for a bit. The blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Like, do you believe I can heal you of your blindness? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched, oh, formula, no, don't do that. And then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And then Jesus, to show you no formulas, Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. Don't tell, any, don't tell anybody about this, that you just made me see, like you don't want me, you don't need me to tell. I mean, imagine, Jesus, think about this. Think about the, the publicity that I can be for you. If we could just get Fox News here, if we could just get this out on Facebook, you know how many likes we'll get? No, I don't, I don't need you to do that for me. I'm not just, not just trying to get my name out there which is fascinating, but they can't stop it. Verse 31, but they went away and they spread his fame throughout all of that district. And and the truth about Jesus is is causing some people to go, wow, I really believe. And others are going, ah, I don't know. Have you ever heard a story and went, "Ah, I don't believe it, right? You don't think that's happening here? And this is why it's kind of interesting that Matthew ends on this difficult note. Because the power stories, the the miracle encounters that we see in 8 and 9, this is the last one. Verse 32, and as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. 
And when the demon had been cast out, so we don't even know what the encounter entailed, but as the demon had been cast, after the demon had been cast out of him, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, and and think about the miracles we've just seen, never was anything like this ever seen in Israel. Really? Like storms being told to stop, and little girls being raised from the dead, and this is it? Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Profound statement of faith. And then you got some religious people in the corner who are going, hey, well, I'm not gonna argue that he did something. But look at verse 34. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. That's how he does it. I've thought about this. And obviously, I can't argue that Jesus doesn't have the power. Jesus does have the power. You know how he has the power? He has the power because he is one of them himself. Wow. The lengths that people will go to to not believe in Jesus. Not to not believe that he can do things, but why he does things. Um like the bigger purpose, his identity, and his mission behind all of that. And I would love to just go, I don't know what's wrong with these guys, but then I begin to look that these stories are now just stories to us. I've not met any of these people, and and now you and I have this this testimony, this witness that has been given to us. And and in many respects, it's it's kind of like, and now um, the writer of Matthew, Matthew, or or the writer of the other Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, or maybe the testimony of other believers are going, hey, by the way, what do you guys believe about Jesus now? Like, what what, what things that you're going through, what what you're agonizing over, how, how is that molded and shaped by what you believe about Jesus Christ. Because we, we really can't escape that. Like right now, there is a family in a hospital room in Oklahoma City and they are breaking and their faith is being tested. And, and I, I guarantee you, I mean, I've already had long conversations with Ryan and Rachel about this and, and they are in the midst of this, their faith is not just being tested, it is coming out as gold. And I think this may be what scares some of us. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be tested like that, right? Like, I don't, I'm fine just kind of hoping my faith will be gold. I don't need to know. I don't want to go through that. But I want you to just think about this. Like, what do you believe about Jesus? Like, do you believe that he loves you? Like, I mean, genuinely loves you. Like, I know people who love me. I know people who don't love me. I know the difference. You know the difference between people who love you or people who are just whatever about you? And I wanna ask you, like, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Like, his heart is affectionate for you. Like, he cares deeply for you. Or are you somehow just lost in the crowd when it comes to Jesus. And a lot of times, I would go, yeah, Jesus loves me, but I feel like I'm like one of a billion people he loves. And do you don't think that molds and shapes like my affections for him? Like it is so important that you know the truth about Jesus's love and his affections for you. 
not just us, but for you. And then we live in light of the love that he has shown you by dying for you and taking your place so that you can find peace with God. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Do you live your life like Jesus loves you? Do you believe that Jesus and what he did on the cross um, brings you peace with God? Do you believe that? That God has forgiven you of all the things that you have done because Jesus Christ died for you. Do you believe that? So, so by the way, if you believe that, then, then do you live like that? I just can't forgive myself. See, I, I can forgive myself, actually. And one of the reasons why I can forgive myself is because I believe that Jesus Christ died and my faith in him has caused God to take my sin upon him. And so for, I'd have to argue with God, hey God, I don't think you're, no, 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 I actually do think you are. And so I'm forgiven. Not because I'm a good person, because I believe that Jesus can do that. And, and by the way, I'm, I've had a lot of issues in my life lately and I, I, I will never stop asking God for miracles. I have been praying Today, God, just bring Joey back. I totally believe it, without any hesitation. God, it's your prerogative, but I have no doubt in my mind that if you can make this big old world, and if you can raise a little girl, and Lazarus, and Jesus, then this is nothing to you. Your will be done. Pray like that. Believe that. Why? Because it's true. And do you believe Jesus Christ is coming back? Like, do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? Then, then we should live like that. This, this man believed that Jesus could heal his daughter, and so he moved. This woman believed that if I just touched, and so she touched. We see this over and over and over again. And, and you can't, you cannot convince me yeah, I believe in Jesus so much, I'm gonna go to church today. Really? <laughs> wow. You believe so much in Jesus, you're gonna go to church today, or you're going to what? Take hold. <laughs> Take hold and enjoy the journey of discovering the fullness and the bigness that you don't even know yet, that I don't even know yet of who Jesus Christ is. He is not just trapped in this book. He is alive and well. Do you know that? He's alive and well, giving us in 2016 in Stillwater, Oklahoma, purpose and mission. Do you believe that? I believe that. He is bringing health and life to us at his discretion and our enjoyment. He is bringing understanding. He is bringing peace because he is Jesus. Do you believe that? Let's pray. God, um, there are many in this room that don't believe that. And like me, there are many in this room that just struggle believing. Maybe because we are not creative enough. And I don't mean fancy and I don't mean imaginary. But to look at you and how your spirit continues to move in our lives. God, may we never think that you are the God of the past. But very much the present. 
Be present, Father. Not only in the lives of Ryan and Rachel and her family, but in us. God, for those of us in this room that have smaller problems today, be with us. And God, for those of us that are going to need your strength for what is going to happen just in the next seven days, be with us. Father, give us the strength to look left and right and up and down. And when we don't see you, to believe that you see us. And may we have peace with that. You are good. I pray we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.